0: Hello, baby. Welcome to the Smart People Podcast. Sit back, grab a drink, tune in your brain. Ask not what your country can do for you.
1: This nation will rise up. <laughs>
0: Hello, listeners. Welcome to another enthralling, exciting, adventurous, and some other adjective episode of Smart People Podcast. I'm Chris Stemp.
2: And I'm John Rojas. Hey, Chris, before we get started, I wanted to cheers with you real quick.
0: Ah, cheers to that. What's cheers, up?
2: buddy. And the reason for this, we've hit both 250,000 downloads and our 20th episode quarter million downloads huh yeah
0: pretty crazy did you ever think it was going to happen well yeah i did i just thought i'd be 40 before it happened so i want to you know thank all the listeners thanks to everybody out there for being so supportive subscribing to the podcast listening giving us feedback using our amazon widget all those things it's been a it's been a blast we look forward to doing it for a long time to come and bringing you guys interesting subjects and while we're talking about it if you have any ideas on who you'd like to hear or any comments on the podcast, feel free to contact us. Just go to our website, smartpeoplepodcast.com and go to the contact us and shoot us a little email. People do it all the time. We are currently seeking out speakers that people have recommended and uh, it's a good time. So thanks to all you out there for everything. We'll try and keep up our end of the bargain. Yeah, and as Chris mentioned,
2: you know, This podcast has become what it's become because of you. Keep telling your friends. Keep posting on your Facebook. Keep posting on Twitter. It's awesome to see
0: our little community grow. This week, we hope everybody enjoys our guest. We're going to be speaking with Jancis Robinson. And she is what you call a sommelier. I think I pronounced that right. If you don't know what that is, you're not alone. She's a wine expert. We thought this would be really interesting because... I mean, come on, who who knows how to properly taste wine, how to properly pair it with foods and all that stuff. I mean, Roach, when you go out on your dates, which I know you do so often, how often do you feel you don't know what you're doing when the waiter comes over and asks you about what wine you'd like or how to sniff the cork?
2: Oh, well, I mean, on the hundreds and hundreds of dates I've been on <laughs> in the last month or so,
0: I'd pretty much say it's it's every time. Exactly. So. We want to speak with Jancis and educate ourselves and educate all the listeners. Just a quick background on her. Uh, Jancis is one of a handful of wine communicators with an international reputation. She writes daily on her website, jancisrobinson.com, which is fantastic. It was voted the first ever wine website of the year in the International Wine Writers Awards 2010. She writes weekly for the Financial Times. Uh, she is also the editor of the Oxford Companion to Wine, co-author of the World Atlas of Wine. She's an award-winning TV presenter. And I think what's really cool is in 2003, she was awarded an OBE by Her Majesty, the Queen, on whose seller she now advises. So she's she's she knows her stuff. Let's just put it that way. She has drank a lot of wine. She might be a wino. I don't know. Hey Chris, I just wanted to put a
2: a quick personal plug out there. As we mentioned since I'm in the dating scene, if there's any uh single smart people podcast listeners out there, you can always email us with the subject heading I want to date John
0: and uh, Did you did you really just use our podcast I as uh did. match.com? It's, it's matchjohn.com. You know, that's right. You you <laughs> got to do what you got to do. Well, at least you'll know what kind of wine to buy.
2: That's right. All right, so we're going to dive right into the interview, hopefully teach you guys something about wine. Uh, But but before we do so, just remember, use our Amazon widget that's located on smartpeoplepodcast.com and tweet your friends, let
0: them know about the show, get them listening. Yeah, follow us on Facebook, go give us a, a rating on iTunes, subscribe, help us out. Help me help you. Enjoy the interview. All right, chances. So we're interested on this podcast. Uh, one of the primary things is people finding their passion and working in fields that they truly enjoy and can flourish in. And I feel like for I mean, you... So
1: it could could be anything, not wine, but painting or rock climbing or whatever, yeah? Exactly. Great. And oh, well, that's lovely. So it's, um, it's nice. We're not going to get it. You're not going to quiz me about... TH levels
0: in Gamay grapes, then? Oh, boy. No. <laughs> we're going to be concerned most with how to actually look like we know what we're talking about when it comes to <laughs> okay. wine. But one thing I was wondering is, it's tough to find people who have truly followed their passion and, and gone out on a limb. And I was wondering, could you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are and uh, what it is that you do?
1: Willingly. I spend my life writing about and um, tasting wine and the people who make it and the places that make it, which is the most lovely job. Um, I somehow seem to have managed to have turned a subject which most people associate with pleasure and relaxation into sort of 24-7 workload. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But um, I always say that's because I was born on a Saturday, and we have a a rhyme in England about, um, uh, well, it's days of the week, and it's Friday's child is loving and giving. Saturday's child works hard for their living and um, I think I got lumbered with that. Um, I was very, very interested in food as a teenager, and so it was um, a pretty small step from there to becoming very, very interested in wine. I wasn't brought up with wine, but one of the, the sort of concentrations of good cellars in England was in the cellars of the Oxbridge Colleges, and I went from a little village of... 45 people in the far north of England to Oxford, where I studied maths and philosophy, which I can't can't believe nowadays, Um, and there I was exposed to wine properly for the first time. I was very lucky. There was a girl at my college whose father, a doctor, had most unusually brought the family up to love wine in a rather academic way. And she would go to the local store and buy two half bottles that were similar but different to sort of compare them. And she could see I was interested, so sometimes she would give me a little taste and and sort of very solemnly tell me the differences. So that stirred my interest in the kind of intellectual side of wine, if you like. And then I had a boyfriend at Oxford whose father, bless him, loved him, um, gave his son a little bit too much money, a lot of which was spent taking me out, wining and dining me. And there was one particular red Burgundy that sort of lit the flame, really. It was a Chambon Musigny Les Amoures, 1959. And and obviously, I didn't get up from that table at the age of, what, 20 or something, saying, OK, that's it. I'm going to be a wine writer. And in fact, you wouldn't believe it, but way back then, certainly in Britain, and I suspect in a lot of places around the world, uh, the subjects of wine and food were seen as being irremediably frivolous. Really, I mean, I wouldn't have felt comfortable saying to my Oxford friends, "Okay, I'm now going to um, head for a job in the two things I was most interested in, which were even then food and wine." Uh, they they would they were seen as um, a waste of money, not serious. World famine was even worse problem then than it is today. So I ended up for three years in the travel business. But I was still really, really interested in, in food and wine. I dropped out for a year in the mid 70s to Provence. Um, dropping out was very, um, fashionable then. But I, I was determined, I knew it was just for a year and I was determined after spending five minutes in France, where of course I was surrounded by people who thought eating and drinking were what life was all about. Um, I was then determined to get, when I got back to London to find a job in either food or wine.
0: Did you ever worry along the way? I mean, like like you said, you were kind of one of the first people in your region to to do this. Were you worried? You know, hey, what if I can't find a job doing this?
1: Well, I was only when I, I got my first job in wine. I was only twenty five, which isn't that old. Uh, you know, I could have if I if I hadn't found something, I would have, I suppose, gone into something more logical for my my degree, which perhaps would have been if people kept telling me computers or uh, they used to call it computers in those days. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think I ever thought that I was not going to find a job at all, but I, 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 I certainly when I came back from France thought, okay, now's the moment when I'm going to find a job I want as opposed to um, a job that society will approve of. All
0: right, so I know you have a book, How to Taste, A Guide to Enjoying Wine, and I'm interested in hearing a little bit about that. Primarily, I'm hoping you can tell us and our listeners how to correctly taste wine and get the most out of it.
1: Okay, difficult thing to do on the radio, as you can imagine. So the most important thing to realize is that your nose is a very, very important part of your tasting equipment. And that's why when you've got a horrible head cold, food seems to taste of nothing because most of the flavor of things is sensed at the top of your nose. Um, there is a little passageway that goes from the back of your mouth up to those sensors. So if you don't consciously smell what you drink and eat, you'll still get a little bit of the smell. But to get to maximize the pleasure that the, all the effort that someone's gone to to give you, you need to consciously smell it. And that is why winos do this thing of swirling the wine around. Does that ring a bell? You see people holding um, a wine glass right. and swirling the wine around because yes. what they're trying to do is maximize the surface area of the wine, so maximize the number of smell, smelly molecules that the wine can give off. And obviously by agitating it a bit, you're also encouraging all that smell up your nose. So it's a good idea to swirl the wine around just gently before sniffing it and then just try to concentrate for just a moment as you sniff it. Firstly, is this clean, you know, is it? because very occasionally you come across something which has a fault which where it's not even clean and you don't actually want to drink it. But when I started that was true of about one wine in three, nowadays it's true of about at most one wine in a hundred, so it's not such a serious problem anymore. Then as soon as you've sort of gone subconsciously get the screen, uh, you could say, What does it remind me of? Because if you want to do anything other than just tip liquid down your throat, it is quite a nice idea to register what things taste of so that you can start to put things into groups. You know, I like realise oh yeah, I do like Sauvignon Blanc I like I like that smell of of metals or green grass or gooseberries or something like that Um, so what does it remind you of and try and attach words to smells they may not be hugely accurate but just what it smells of is just a way of you remembering that smell it's it's easier to do if you attach words to it and then the third thing do I like it and then you can start as I say to build up this bank of, of what you like and what you don't like And the most important thing with wine appreciation is to realize that there are no rights and no wrongs, but but what's most important is what you happen to like, and that we we all have different sensitivities and sensibilities and uh, preferences. And another uh, two, in fact, important things about taking the trouble to smell wine first is that A, it doesn't cost anything, and B, of course, smelling it isn't intoxicating either, so you can keep on smelling as long as you like. However, one hopes that the smell is nice enough to make you actually want to drink it. Then, when you've sort of registered what the smell is, then you're allowed to actually take a mouthful. And um, in a social setting, you'll, you'll swallow it. But if you're a professional taster like me, who could be tasting up to 100 wines a day, then you, uh, you spit it. And I know other people will think that's disgusting. That is bizarre. <laughs> But professionally, we just we think nothing of it. We, you know, in a professional wine tasting, it'll be a room full of people who are just spit, 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 spit where there, there are sort of spittoons around, and we kind of elbow each other out of the way trying to find where we can most conveniently spit our mouths <laughs> Um Anyway, so much more important than the spitting is, is what we call the taste, or how the wine strikes your senses inside your mouth. And what you're looking for in the mouth is less the flavor, because the nose is much better at getting the flavor, more the dimensions. So you're looking to see how sweet it is, how acid it is, um, how chewy it is, because often young wines can be quite chewy, you know, dry out the insides of your cheek, how alcoholic it is. If you've got a very alcoholic wine, sometimes it leaves a kind of hot burn on the, in the back of the mouth. And and those are the sort of four dimensions. And once you've swallowed it or spat it out, then you're looking for uh, two aspects. Were all those dimensions nicely balanced? You know, was it, if it had quite a bit of sweetness in it, did it have enough acidity to counterbalance that sweetness or was it kind of yucky and sickly? Um, And how long did did the wines impact in my mouth last. Generally speaking, the longer an impact of a wine on in your mouth, the better quality it is. So this is an argument for avoiding really cheap plonk, which leaves no impression on your mouth whatsoever once you've swallowed it. In fact, your, the tendency is to have another mouthful saying, did it really taste of so little? <laughs> uh, but a, a, a really good wine, you can keep on enjoying sort of for... A minute or more after you've swallowed or spat it, um, so that's my justification for spending too much on wine.
2: See, this is all you know. This is really good advice for, especially me being out on in the in the dating scene. I often take my <laughs> dates to to dinner, and you know, I'll well, order
1: buy my, her a Chambon Musigny Les nineteen fifty nine, and she'll never forget it. See, that's
2: that's what I was going to ask, but <laughs> I. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've always seen people, you know, swirl the glass, sniff it, taste it, look at the cork, all that kind of stuff. And when I get a bottle brought to my table, I pretend like I know I'm doing or or pretend like I know what I'm doing and do the same thing. Do you go into, you know, great detail in any of your books about, you know, pairing wines with foods and what?
1: Oh, no. Well, I think far too much hot air and, and words are spent on on exact matchings of wine and food i'm afraid this may be heretical but you know who who died from having the wrong wine with the wrong food and what's what's the downside of of not having the perfect pairing uh, my theory is that probably for every food there are a handful of absolutely perfect wine matches but it's so difficult to find them and I would say the only circumstances in which you would be justified in expecting to be in a restaurant directed to the perfect pairing would be at one of these amazingly fancy French three-star restaurants where um, the menu doesn't change for years and the sommelier should know exactly which wines in the cellar go perfectly with each dish and should be able to recommend one at each of three Price levels.
0: I, I actually, real quick, John mentioned it, and I'm kind of interested in it. What is the correct way to when you're sitting there and they bring out a bottle yeah. to taste and check the wine?
1: <laughs> okay. Well, what you could do is nowadays is just say just just go ahead and pour it because it's a ritual that started in the era that I when I started when about one bottle in three was faulty, and so it saved a lot of toing and froing for the host to check that the wine was not faulty before um, most of it was poured. Nowadays, it's so rare to find a faulty wine that um, no, no wine waiter is going to object if they go ahead and pour it, and then you taste it and decide that it's faulty and want to send it back. So it's no uh, big... You don't absolutely have to. However, if you want to be conventional or want to impress the date that you know exactly what to do... Um, what the wine waiter is really doing, he, he should, she or he should definitely show you the bottle first before pulling the cork so that you can see it was what you ordered. And so just quickly try and check, particularly if you care about these things, the vintage, because very often on wine lists, they're a bit sloppy about the vintage. And I'm also, I also put my hand on the bottle just to feel the temperature because wine is amazingly sensitive to temperature. And if you serve a red wine too warm, it's going to have lost any refreshment factor. It's going to be kind of as though you've sort of slightly boiled the flavor out. And so you wouldn't believe the number of times I've actually asked in a restaurant for an ice bucket to put a red wine in to cool it down a bit because it's just a waste of my money to pay for a red wine that's too too warm. Then they should pull the cork or unscrew the screw cap and pour the host, whoever that may be, and they should be a good enough waiter to work out who that is, um, a little taste. And what you're doing really is just sniffing it to make sure that it's clean. Uh, you could taste it to make sure, I mean, if you're thirsty or curious or greedy, you can certainly drink it. But basically, you're smelling it to make sure it doesn't smell of sort of moldy cardboard, in which case it might could, could have been had a, a, um, a moldy cork which will have infected the whole, contaminated the whole wine. Ah, okay. Uh, but I know some sort of fancy wine waiters sniff the cork and some clients probably sniff the cork, but actually I have it on the authority of the best wine waiter in the world that this is no surefire test. You can find contaminate, cork-contaminated wines that have a, a cork that smells perfectly healthy and vice versa, so not much point in smelling the cork.
2: You mentioned earlier that I should purchase a certain type of wine to make my make sure my date remembered our our evening. And I think a lot of people have the notion that more expensive wines are your better wines, but have you found cheaper wines that, you know, you would highly recommend to people?
1: Sure. Sure. No, my next article in um, the Financial Times is uh, about value in wine, and I believe that there are overpriced wines pretty much all price levels, and certainly a a lot of underpriced wines at fairly low price levels. I mean, I mentioned Beaujolais before. Beaujolais 09 is absolutely stunning, great combination, doesn't cost a lot of money, and uh, it will age quite well as well. You don't have to spend huge amounts, but it's fun, I think, to go for something maybe a little bit unusual. I mean, She's not going to remember, really, if you choose... It's going to be difficult, say, for a California Chardonnay to stand out, isn't it? Because there are just so many of them on your wine list. Whereas, I don't know, if you chose something really a, a bit odd, like um, California is now planting a much wider range of grape varieties. You know, you're getting kind of Pinot Blancs and Gruner Veltlinas, and... Um, Darling Rieslings and things like that. That would sort of stand out from the crowd a lot more. But I would, I would go for the oddballs. And another thing which I would really recommend, And um, I find that the more people know, the less people know about wine, the less willing they are to ask for guidance. From the wine waiter.
0: Now, if I don't know the international wine scene very well, but if I were to walk into the grocery store or a wine store here and say, you know, I want to buy a couple bottles that you recommend, could you could you recommend some specific ones for us? I don't know if you know if if they're international or not. I don't know how that works.
1: (laughs) I mean, there are tens of thousands of wine producers around the world. it's it's a tall order. Um I'm not sure that I would give you different advice walking into a wine store from from ordering wine from a wine list, really. I, I would first of all be saying, So what sort of wine do you like? And as you I think should say to your date, you know, obviously would you prefer red or white? Do you like it quite full bodied or do you like it crisp or soft or you know, and try and try and follow their clues, really. Um, you know, it's a bit like saying saying to somebody um, who spends their entire life with music, okay, what's your favorite tune? You know, can you recommend a tune?
0: Right. Can you,
1: yeah. Uh, no, I mean, asking me my favorite is perhaps, you could perhaps do, but even that's difficult. But asking <laughs> me to recommend something for your taste is, is really difficult. But again, in a good wine store, good wine stores should be like good bookstores, but it's worth developing a relationship with the people behind the counter, telling them what you've liked so far, and asking them to recommend something for you to move on to that's perhaps a little bit more interesting or better value.
0: One thing I did want to ask you is, I've seen these aerators, these wine aerators out a lot lately, and some people swear by them. I don't know. Are they just a gimmick? Do you, do okay, you recommend really them? they really a gimmick,
1: yeah. I mean, what's wrong with you know swirling the wine around or pouring it, <laughs> From the bottle into a jug or a decanter, you know. I right. think they're they're a great way to make money, but
0: I've always just wondered. Spend because... the money on wine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good advice. All right, and then I guess lastly, since you mentioned it, what what is or can you tell us your favorite couple uh, bottles of wine?
1: And I think it would be a waste of our time together, honestly, um, really? because uh, I'd much rather talk about my website. Yes, which I well, spend that was hours each day on doing. Yeah.
0: Uh, Jancis Robinson.com. Um, it. It, it is fantastic. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it and what <laughs> you can find there?
1: Uh, well, since I, I do spend most of my life, I, I, I'm i crazy. I've, I've created a rod for my own back. Um, I add <laughs> two or three new articles to it every day, which is madness. It's got, so far, 55,000 wine reviews on it. It's got all of my kind of um, much uh, multi-award winning and much used into its third edition giant wine reference book, The Oxford Companion to Wine on it, the only online version of it. It's got um, a forum which uh, France's only wine magazine called the most courteous wine forum on the planet. It won the first wine website of the year from the um, when Louis Roederer, in their International Wine Writers Awards, decided to have a category for wine websites, so that's very nice. Um, and all the gossip and and me, I my kind of slightly cheeky thoughts about wine, I suppose, <laughs> and the news, the news, the latest news, the wine news.
2: And did you say you had a a new book coming out?
1: Uh, I've got three in preparation at the moment um but uh, the main ones that are around so far that are published so far are the Oxford companion to wine um the world atlas of wine um and how to taste which um you started off talking
0: about great all right well we will provide a link to your website and for our listeners to purchase some of your books right on our website lovely we really appreciate your time. Hopefully, next time we're out on a date or buying some wine, we'll seem a little more educated. You know. I
1: really hope so. Uh, but <laughs> do 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 ask the date what 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 they want, what sort of things they like in the first place.
0: <laughs> That's
2: right. actually very good advice because I'm sure Chris and I—that would be the first thing that we would gloss over
0: and forget. Yeah. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. Good. Well, Again, good luck. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time and interest. Thank Bye. you very All right. much.
2: All right, welcome back. Hope you guys enjoyed the interview with Jancis and hope you learned something uh, interesting about wine that you might not have known.
0: I know I did, and I I plan on using that in the future. Actually, after doing this interview, I went to the store to pick up one of the wines she recommends on her website, which, by the way, is JancisRobinson.com. Interesting first name. It's J-A-N-C-I-S, Robinson.com. I I picked up, it's called Brook. S-H-O-B-B-R-O-O-K It's a Syrah 2009 it was like 30 bucks or something which I normally don't spend but I wanted to try out something on her website. It was really good so I recommend you guys check out her website if you want to learn about different wines to try out and uh, learn a little something. And as always the music was provided by The Outdoors. They are currently
2: on tour right now. You can follow them On Twitter at the Outdoors Band, and you can find them on Facebook.com/slash The Outdoors Music. Check them out. Definitely check them out. And while you're doing that, go ahead follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Smart People Pod. Let us know who you want us to interview, who you want us to talk to, or if you just have a general, you know, comment or suggestion for the
0: podcast. All right, guys, thanks for sticking around. Tune in next week. We got somebody interesting for you. Promise. Take it easy.